Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, getting a little technical, getting a little on the technical side. We're talking about CE marking, talking about what it looks like for all the customs and the paperwork and the testing, all the different things that go into CE marking for board games. And maybe you don't even know what that is. We'll explain that. Don't worry. We're talking to Glenn Ford from Manikent Games. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hi, Gabe. Hey, man. So I'm excited to talk to you about this. This is not something that comes up a lot, but I feel like it's one of those things that's a lot more important than maybe people realize, especially if you're going to do a Kickstarter, if you're going to publish your own games, Uh, even if you're going to work with a kind of newer publisher, maybe they're not up to speed on all these different things because they haven't been in the industry for very long. So I think this is something really valuable and helpful for designers to be aware of, especially if they're going to travel down that self-publishing route. But uh, before we get into CE marking, who are you? How'd you get into game design? That kind of thing. Okay. Um, well, yeah, my name's Glenn Ford. I've always been uh, a gamer. Um, grew up on uh, Games Workshop games, 40K, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Uh, I was always the guy who ended up writing a set of scenarios or uh, a set of campaigns or just an extra set of rules for for an extra character or extra unit. And slowly over the years learning that if you write anything too good or too powerful nobody was going to let you use it and you had to balance things down and give your friends units they wanted to use so that you could get your uh, rules into the game Uh, and then about uh, three years ago now a friend of mine Mike Hutchinson um, basically walked into our local gaming group um, to tell us that he had sold a game to Osprey Blue Books um, that game turned out to be Gaslands. I started off doing playtesting on it, ended up contributing more and more to the book, uh, ended up with a lead developer credit on that. And uh, since then, Gaslands has gone off insanely well, very, very popular. Um, we've been had amazing support from the community. Uh, that's going into a second hardback edition that's coming out this September. Off the back of running Gaslands at conventions, meeting people, uh, you know, having a bit of that. I suppose sort of riding on the back of that, um, I decided to launch my own game on Kickstarter last year. Uh, That was SSO, a one to six player um, sci-fi survival horror game. Um, That backed, you know, solidly. It was a small game, um, but we, we certainly got it out. And now I'm launching uh, the second game from Mannequin Games, uh, which will be Moonflight. Um, should be launching basically, uh, I think you said, on the day that this uh, podcast is going to go up. It's a uh, wonderful player um, deck unbuilder game. Yeah, very cool. And so I'm excited to hear more about your stuff in, in just a minute. But Gaslands is is a great game. Like it's such a cool community. Then with all the modifications and people, you know, finding Matchbox and Hot Wheels cars and like turning them into these, you know, Mad Max style looking, you know, missiles and machine guns and all this cool stuff. It's such a really interesting game. I had no idea that you you had worked on that. Uh, it's just a, a really cool uh, project, man. And so I'm excited to see the kind of second edition uh, coming out because it's it's something I know a lot of people have have gotten into. Yeah, no, the, as I say, the community have been absolutely amazing for us uh, on Gaslands. Um, before the, the Blue Book even came out and we were starting to, to, to sort of run it at conventions, we were having total strangers walk up to us and say, people are already telling me about this game. People say, we need, you know, I need to see this, I need to play it. And, uh, you know, more from luck than judgment, to be honest, it's it's absolutely caught people's uh, people's attention. It's it's such a low entry level. Uh, I always say it's it's the miniatures game. You've got the miniatures for anyway. Um, it's such a simple concept. Everyone knows those pop culture references that Death Race two thousand that that Mad Max uh, style background, and it's it's a fantastic. I honestly, it's a fantastic gateway game to miniatures gaming. 
because um, miniatures gaming can very often be very intimidating. It can have a very high entry level um, for people to get into. Uh, Gaslands is this game that you can you can get the entire game on the table for for you know twenty dollars or something. Um, and I think that just having that there, having that low entry level, um, and having designed the game to have this very welcoming uh, method of play, it, it's very visual, it's very instant, um, and it's extremely cinematic when you're playing it. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it catches people very easily. Um, so many times I go to, because I go to tabletop conventions for, for board games and for miniatures games, which don't always have as much crossover as you'd think. And at Mitch's Games, you can see people walking past the, the the rows of sort of historical and skirmish games and from a row away spotting Gaslands and just seeing, okay, there's something different there. There's something I haven't seen before and people come to it and flock to it. Yeah, and like you're saying, um, so many Miniatures games are lifestyle games and Gaslands, you, you don't have to you know spend $1,000 on the front end to really feel like you, yeah. you can compete. And so it's, it's a cool way to just kind of get people into the hobby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from from day one, we always said we we don't make miniatures. We're not we're not sculptors. We're not miniatures designers. We're not miniature sellers. We're putting out uh, rule sets. That's what we know how to do. Um, and you know, I, I think one of the first inspirations for when Mike was writing Gaslands was just to sort of say everybody's got these buckets of miniatures in the in their houses. Every single person, you could do some cool things with them. You could have some some real fun with them um and i think that that sort of simple inspiration that simple idea you know has has just caught on with people and i think it's been fantastic and we've been very lucky with it awesome well hey let's get into the topic at hand talking about ce marking first of all what what is that what's a good definition working definition like what does ce even stand for uh, okay, so uh, CE uh, stands for Confirmity Europe European. Uh, my pronunciation might be a little off there. It's it's French. Um, it's French for that this particular product confirms to the European standards of safety. Uh, that is what the the CE mark is for. It's a self-assessed um mark that you can put on a product that says that that particular product falls under the regulations of the European Union's CE marking for the product in question which is as short a definition as I think I can get on that yeah and so what is what is it exactly like what's it for so literally the CE mark is a small C and an E that you can download from uh, the European Union website. Its purpose, I suppose, uh, it does a lot of things. Firstly, it means that your game can be freely imported um, throughout the European Union Customs Union. It means that the European Union has set out certain conditions and guidelines where they say, if your product is tested under these guidelines, fulfills these guidelines, we will say that that is a safe product. If something happens with that product, someone gets hurt by it, injured by it, poisoned, whatever it happens to be, we're going to then essentially back you up and say, okay, we set out those guidelines, you followed those guidelines, responsibility for what that happens has got to come down to to us as the as the governing body rather than necessarily you as the manufacturer if you choose not to follow those guidelines if you choose not to go through that testing and someone manages to hurt themselves with your product then we can say okay well well that was your fault as the manufacturer that was your fault as the designer we were pretty clear about what we would and wouldn't allow um, you have a choice whether or not to follow those uh, those marking procedures. Um, so for a uh, an independent manufacturer, for a, a guy who's going through Kickstarter, it offers you two things then. It offers you smooth and quick cus- uh, passage through customs, um, and it offers you a defense against 
if something goes wrong, if some, you know, God forbid something happens and someone manages to hurt themselves with a snapped plastic component in your game or manages to choke themselves in a counter, you have a defense for when they come looking for whatever sort of reparations they think are necessary to say, I followed the rules. I did everything that was asked of me. If you have a complaint, it's a complaint about those guidelines rather than the complaint about what I as a, a manufacturer or I as a designer um, put out onto the marketplace. Gotcha. So it sounds like something that's you know set up to protect both sides, to protect everybody from uh, whether it's lawsuits or from poisoning and different things like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a set of agreements, a set of guidelines that have been put forward where the EU has said, you as a creator want to sell within the EU. We as citizens of the EU want to be protected against dangerous or, or per, poor merchandise. These are a set of guidelines that are put in the middle of those two drives so that hopefully the the the, the people who produce can produce effectively and easily and understand what their requirements and, and what pressures are put on them. And the people who are using those products can then use them with a reasonable level of confidence that they're they're safe and appropriate for their use. Yeah. And so one thing you mentioned is that this is self-assessed. So what does that exactly mean for it to be self-assessed? Okay, so there is no central body um, or, or, or single laboratory or government building that you can send your game to and that they send it back saying, yes, this now has a, a, a CE mark. Um, what you need to do in order to um, have your CE marking is that you need to look at your game, uh, you need to assess it, you need to go through a, a, a set of safety assessments, um, some of which will involve uh, testing by a lab. So you'll send your game off, or more usually, uh, if you're manufacturing a game with a manufacturer, you'll have them send a copy of the game off um, before manufacturing is complete. Then there, there will be some level of testing, and we'll get into maybe some of the technicalities on the testing that is relevant to specifically a board game in a minute um then they'll send the, the game will come to you um certain testing will have been done on it and then you'll run through uh, a set of assessments safety assessments to say that the game is safe you will then uh record those assessments and i'll uh, again in a minute i'll run through a, 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 a short rundown of exactly the paperwork that you need to have um, to cover yourself the C marking. Um, there'll be links to it, um, I, I would think, or, uh, with this podcast. And then you keep that those records, wherever you choose to keep them safely, and then you qualify for legal CE marking at that point. You, you can then put the C mark on that product in perpetuity um and it means that unless you go back in and do a new edition where you put in new elements that product now qualifies as being ce marked and if the in the event that customs pick it up um you then come to them with that paperwork that you've created to say yes this is this qualifies as eu ce marked um if again god forbid the worst happens uh, and and something goes wrong with that game you can then present that paperwork and and be protected under the the ce marking legislation yeah and this is one of those logos one of those markings that you'll find on pretty much every board game toy i mean it's all over everything you see that big ce on the back mm. of things. And what that says is, is that company has, has said, we have done the proper testing. We've gone through the proper channels. We have put this mark on there, but at the same time, like you could just throw it on there. And so I, I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there that looking through maybe into some loopholes and, and things like that, which is, mm -hmm. uh, could be a dangerous thing because we're talking about the government. <laughs> You're right. We're talking about yeah, the European yeah. Union. Uh, and so I think it's something that uh, more people just be need, need to be aware of. You can't just slap yeah. that that logo on there and hope for the best, yeah. or I guess you can, but you're, you're taking a risk. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, use of the CE mark without um, proper paperwork and without proper testing is illegal. Um, it's punishable by uh, three months in jail plus a five thousand pound fine, um, or whatever the, the the monetary equivalent would be, I suppose, in the local area. So that's, and I, I would argue that that's the the sort of the best case scenario of putting a CE mark on a product wrongly. Um, the worst case scenario, I would suggest, is that if you put a CE mark on a product wrongly and the terrible thing happens, someone gets hurt, you know, potentially seriously, and it then comes out when they're looking for, for you know, for suing you or whatever, that you put a CE mark on fraudulently, um, I would suggest that probably that's, the actual worst case scenario, rather than just getting, um, you know, picked up by customs. I, I do, yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the the, the misconceptions in relation to C marking, and I, I think the first the first big problem um, I think that people have sort of gotten mixed up on is that C marking is not the only legislation under which a board game can be sold within the European Union. There is uh, the C-marking legislation, which covers a whole range of products, um, not just board games. Um, and the part of C-marking that your board game might fall under would be the Toy Safety Directive. I think from, from last checking, it's Toy Safety Directive 2009-48-EC, um, if, you, if you end up sort of wanting to look that up online. But a board game doesn't necessarily fall under that legislation. Um, specifically, one of the one of these major loopholes um, that that you'll hear quoted a lot online uh, and is a bit of a worrying one, I think, comes from pretty much the first paragraph uh, or the first or second paragraph in the Toy Safety Directive is that um, this directive shall apply to products designed or intended whether or not exclusively, for use in play by children under 14 years of age. Some people online, in, in and, and not just worryingly in forums, um, I've, I've heard this from some fairly major sources, have taken that to mean that if your game is intended for people over the age of 14, you can then put a C mark onto that game without testing it. I think that the reason people think that is that they are unaware of a further piece of European legislation called the General Product Safety Directive, uh, 2001-95-EC, if you want to look that up, or the GPSD. If a product doesn't fall under a piece of C-marking legislation, it's covered by the GPSD. What that means in important terms for, for people who are to develop are developing their own board games is that if you have not qualified under the CE marking, i.e. your game is not for somebody under the uh, 14 years of age, it doesn't mean that you put a CE mark onto your game and don't test it. It means that you are under the GPSD legislation. What that means is that you don't put a CE mark onto your game. You do not get the benefits of the CE marking legislation. And instead, every single country that you choose to sell your game in throughout the European Union, you then have to make sure that your game follows their local safety legislation. Um, so it, it's been presented as a loophole. It's a loophole that I've read a worrying number of times, and a worrying number. I, uh, funnily enough, I was uh, listening to a board game design ad podcast uh, a couple of days ago, where there was a little mention of uh, uh, of a designer putting uh, a false age limit onto a game in order to not have to do the C marking testing. And it is an important one to be aware of: putting a fourteen plus age limit on your game does not mean that you get to put a C mark on it without testing. It it absolutely does not there is nowhere anywhere that i've been able to find any part of the legislation that suggests that to be the case if your game is genuinely for people over the age of 14 and cards against humanity uh, is a good example cards against humanity 
uh, is on sale within the European Union, I know because I've been into my local friendly uh, gaming store and checked, without CE marking on it. Because Cards Against Humanity is not for people under the age of 14. Cards Against the Humanity is not a toy according to the CE marking legislation. And so they have chosen to put their game out without the CE marking. They've chose to go under the GPSD, which is a perfectly reasonable choice for them. Um, it's perfectly legal. The point is that you can't put the CE mark on just because your game ha has a 14 plus on it and then not test it. That is not acceptable. If your game is for people over the age of 14, it's not a CE marked game. I mean, one of the things I do want to say again uh, in relation to the 14 plus marking loophole, which is the one that I come up, uh, I find again and again and again and again, is that none of the other markings you put on your box, your the the the, the game time, you don't expect that to have a, a legal ramification. You don't expect anything else that you you write in those little logos on the side of your game box to to carry you through in a court of law. I'm not entirely certain why people think that that. 14 plus age guideline is going to be some sort of shield to them uh if it if it ends up going down a down a legal route and also i feel like it's just trying to use that as a loophole is just undermining the point where people go into a shop and they want to know what age age limit a game is is aimed at i want to know if a game is for 12 year olds or 10 year olds i don't want to look at it and see a 14 plus and go okay that might be for eight year eight year olds it might be for 14 year olds um i think this loophole which is a false loophole is actually causing bad customer service um within the industry and it, it's it's not going to help anybody anyway so i think Put an age limit on your game that describes the eight target audience for your game. Don't think that it's going to get you out of uh, getting proper C marking. So yeah, so that was that was one of the major sort of misconceptions and issues that uh, that I wanted to sort of get out of the way early on because it's something that I keep seeing and I, I think that people need to be aware that it's just not how that that part of the legislation works. Cheers. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I've seen lots of games that said 14 plus and I've played them and thought, you know, I think a nine-year-old could probably play this game. And so they were just, you know, trying to get get by on, on that loophole. But let's talk about the process of this testing. Sure. Is this something that I have to send my game to a third-party laboratory? Is this something that can be done in the factory in China? Like, tell me more about that. Yes, by and large, it will be done by a, a third-party testing laboratory. Any decent I, I, let's say any decent good manufacturers who produce games on a regular basis will be able to set up for you the uh the process of sending a prototype copy of the game out to a laboratory having it tested for the c marking and then sending you through the the results of that testing there are a huge swathe of pieces of uh, testing that your the the lab could subject your game to, um, you don't need to have every single test uh, available under the EU legislation done for the average board game. A couple of exceptions, and hopefully you should know if your board game has got some weird stuff in it. But if your board game smells because there's some sort of scent element to it that's got some extra legislation if there's anything in there for people to eat unsurprisingly that's got some odd logic legislation um and if for whatever reason part of your game has people riding on it at some point then it's going to fall under a separate piece of legislation but if you haven't got any of those things going on there should really be three pieces of legislation that you should ask the testing laboratory to go through for you. Now, as a ballpark, my first game, uh, SSO, has uh, 72 cards, a rule book, a plastic counter, and two sets of punch boards. Uh, so it was quite a small, humble level game. The testing from the lab came in at about $200, give or take. 
I've heard people complaining that there's uh, a lot that it is expensive to get your testing done. I don't think that's a high price to pay. I suspect that the reason that some projects seem to be coming at a high price might be that they've just sent it, had the manufacturer send it off to the lab and just said to the lab, do the testing. And the lab has tested it for everything that you could possibly uh, be tested under for, for EU legislation. So they're, they're testing your board game to check that it can be, you know, stood on by, by, by a full grown man or, or some other some other form of legislation. So yeah, in short, the the manufacturer should be able to set you up with a reliable laboratory that they send their games off to. It it'll take a couple of weeks uh, within the manufacturing process. They should be able to send it off for you, and they should then be able to send the the testing paperwork on to you that you can then slot into your EU legislation paperwork. Gotcha. And so if my game is real basic, Concrete talking about, if it's just cards and maybe some dice, maybe some wooden cubes, wooden components, what are the things that they're testing? Okay, so there are three pieces of EU legislation uh, that should apply to the average board game. And again, there will be exceptions to this. Uh, and the first piece of advice I give anybody is that all of this information is available online. It's quite dense uh, and it's not necessarily written to be easy to get on with. Um, I've got a background in professional safety assessment, so it's something that, I, that I've been able to sort of pick up fairly easily. But the, the three pieces of legislation that the average board game should fall under would be the, and I'll just run through the, 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 the technical names first and I'll explain what they're for, the physical and mechanical um, that's currently under uh, EN 71-1 colon 2014, uh, if you want to look it up. Although these do get updated with extra bits after the colon. So the important bit is EN 71-1. Flammability, which is EN 7-2, then colon 2011 plus A1 colon 2014. And migration of elements, uh, EN 71-3 colon 2013 plus A1 colon 2014. So that, that's the technical parts if you want to look it up, if you want to read through literally what they will be testing for. But in short, physical and me mechanical um, tests for two main things. One is to check that none of the parts of the game are a potential choking hazard as they're presented. Secondly, it's to check that none of the parts of the game that when shattered or broken uh, will form razor sharp edges, basically, to ensure that any plastic components will form uh, dull elements when broken. So essentially, yeah, it's to check that, you know, no child that swallows a piece of the game will choke on it. But also, even if you feel that you can tell that yourself, it's to check that if a plastic component of the game does break, it's not going to shatter off uh, and stick in someone's eye or, or something horrible like that. The flammability legislation ensures that, in short, that the game won't burst into flame when left near a heat source. Um, so it checks that if the game catches light, it smolders and goes out. So again, there is currently, uh, I'll say, in the UK... Um, there's an issue where the EU legislation for novelties doesn't cover children's fancy dress outfits because they don't count as clothing, so you can sell them as a novelty. Um, in the UK, our Halloween includes a thing we call Bonfire Night, which is a bit like uh, a fireworks celebration, and there have been cases of children having their fancy dress uniforms catch light uh, from a firework because somebody's taken advantage of a loophole where the novelty legislation is not the same as the clothing legislation. So there are still issues with flammability. I, I hear people saying that this sort of testing isn't necessary in the modern day. Everybody is well aware of what you can and can't use. No one's using radioactive paint or, or lead in, their, in elements. Frankly, there are still elements used and sold in games that are highly flammable. There are, there, there are still elements that will catch light. So the flammability legislation just checks that 
whatever the plastic coating that you've got on a card, um, the the varnish that's been used isn't, you know, through nobody's fault, going to suddenly go up and burn someone's house down. And lastly, the the migration of elements testing is to check that anything that rubs off of your game, any sort of varnish or or ink that's going to come off on somebody's fingers, isn't highly poisonous. Um, so it will check the various elements in your game to make sure that there are no poisonous elements in it. And it's not just for if someone's going to choose to chew a card. It's also they check the level of migration of the inks, of the elements in the card to say, okay, this is the the, the, the trace element level that's going to end up on somebody's fingers after they've playing your, been playing your game for a significant amount of time. This is a trace element that is not poisonous. And again, you know, I hate, I hate people saying, okay, well, people aren't making game ink out of highly poisonous substances anymore. But at the same time, you know what uh, a particular gamer is necessarily going to have unfortunate reactions to. There are a range of allergies and elements here. And if not just to test your game against having normal sort of poison elements, this is a point where in the unfortunate event that somebody has some sort of unusual and bizarre reaction to your game, again, you can go back to the European Union and say, well, you said that these elements are considered safe. If it happens that somebody doesn't find it safe, you've said that that is, that is no longer my problem. So the migration of elements testing protects you not just against having poison, inherently poisonous elements in the game, it protects you against having non-poisonous elements that might happen to poison somebody. It's the EU saying, okay, that element affects a low enough population of people that we will take the responsibility for them having unfortunate side effects instead of you. So those those are the three main areas of legislation um, that should cover most board games for most CE testing. You might have unusual elements. Again, if you are producing a game for very young children, if you go under the 36 months mark, then you're, you're going to enter into a whole set of other, other legislation. The idea of uh, the, the, the CE marking toy safety directive legislation is that it's for a game that a child could play with adult supervision. So if, if your game, even if your game is quite advanced for a, for a 12-year-old, if they can play it with an adult watching them uh, and guiding them through the game, that legislation is is set to cover even those instances. So yeah, those those are the three main ones that you should uh, look into, read up on if you can. Those will probably cover your game. Check the other parts of legislation, but if you get your lab to test for those three and you've got a fairly standard, fairly run-of-the-mill set of components in your game, then those, along with your safety assessment, should qualify you for CE marking. Gotcha. Now, you've mentioned a couple of things so far that affect the cost involved with the testing. What else could impact the cost? Like if I have a miniatures game with 50 miniatures or a dice game with 50 dice, like is that going to make the, the cost go up? Like what else impacts that? So, yeah, I think the, the two main things that, that impact cost is uh, the number of tests that you have run on your game and the number of elements that are in the game. I think personally that the 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 cost increase on the the number of elements is if you like it's a linear progression if you've got a bigger game that's a more expensive game that you're selling at a higher price point there are going to be more elements in it that are going to need testing so the things that could significantly uh increase the the, the problems for your testing is if you have uh elements where a gel or a liquid or some other powdered element is contained within uh, another component. So, for example, if you've got an hourglass, if you've got some sort of fancy version of an hourglass, that will significantly increase the issues with the immigration of elements testing. Also, if you are asking a factory to put an element sealed within another element, they may be more casual about the 
the the poisonous nature of what's going to end up going inside of that hourglass. Um, so sealing things inside of other things, that's a jump up. Um, miniatures shouldn't cause a, a major uh, jumping cost because essentially they're about the uh, the shattering issue. Plastic is by and large shatterproof these days unless you've managed to build a miniature in such a way that it's going to to naturally have sharp points on it and when it breaks one of the ways it can break can bring one of those sharp points into um into relief by and large miniatures aren't going to massively up your um your price they're going to check them for shattering it's 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 not going to be a major thing again elements you can put in that, that that will put you into a world of problems other than producing game for very young children um yeah sealed liquid or migratable elements as i say olfactory games if, if if for some reason you have a game where people have to sniff something and identify a smell that's a whole road to go down if you have a game where for some reason somebody needs to eat something that's going to massively increase your costs other than that you're not going to increase your costs significantly and you're certainly not going to increase them out of step with the size of the game and the price point that you're asking. If you're if you're just putting in more cardboard elements, if you're just putting in more plastic elements, then it, it, it's going to be a little bit more for each of the testing. It's only when you start putting in unusual elements that the lab needs to test for an extra piece of testing. And one of the main ways that you can keep your cost down on the C marking is by doing your reading, reading through the legislation and understanding which of the pieces of testing actually refer to your game. Um, because again, there are hundreds of tests that a lab can do. They won't judge for you what it is that you're sending to them to be tested. They won't look at your game necessarily and say, well, this isn't a bicycle, I won't test it under the bicycle legislation. They'll have it sent to them. Your factory should ask you what you want it tested for. For goodness sakes, don't say, just get it fully tested. That will massively increase your costs. That's your the, the, the major mistake there. Look into the, the, the legislation. Those three pieces of legislation should be all you need. If you're worried because you've got something odd in your game, then become a, a, a mini expert in the legislation. It's all there available for you. If not, say that you want those three points tested. And then even if your game is huge, if it's only got cardboard and wood and plastic, the, the testing isn't going to be that much more expensive. Gotcha. And now, so with all the Brexit stuff happening now, maybe later, who knows, right? How is Brexit going to affect this stuff? Okay. Um, The best we have at the moment, and uh, this is very much up in the air, is that the the replacement within the UK for the CE marking is going to be a thing called the UKCA mark. That will stand for the the UK Conformity Assessment Mark. As it stands at the moment, the advice from the UK government is that CE marked products will still be acceptable within the UK um, for at the very least a uh, a set period of time that will be the the changeover period after the after Brexit. Um, which should be at the very minimum something like 12 months. After that point, at the moment, the UK government seemed to be suggesting that they would still like to allow C-marking products to be sold within the UK as covering the, uh, the UK CA marking. So it looks like at least for the next year, if you get your game CE marked, you will be able to sell it within a post-Brexit UK. There was uh, earlier talk during the Brexit process to have been following this part of it, where both sides were saying that 
products which were CE tested within the UK would not be sellable within the EU. And the EU uh, and products that were CE tested within the EU would not be sellable in the UK. At the moment, both sides seem to have, have, have dropped that suggestion. What the UKCA mark ends up being and what utility it's going to have with being able to sell a game within the European Union, at the moment, nobody knows. The, the short-term advice is that stick with CE marking. Possibly at some point in the, 12, the next 12 months, if you want to sell a game within the UK, you might need to also have the UKCA mark on it. At the moment, nobody knows how you get a UKCA mark. Nobody knows what you need to do to get a UKCA mark. Um, so at the moment, you're just going to have to let that one drift. It's a peculiar one because at the moment, what the UK always used to have was a thing called the, uh, the British Standard Kite Mark. Now, that was a form of testing where you sent your product off to a centralized lab. It did all the testing and then it sent it back to you saying, yes, you have qualified for, for the British Kite Mark. Some products in the UK still carry and still have to be tested under the, the, the British Kite Mark testing, but they're, they're quite specialist products. Now, the EU legislation is that if your product doesn't qualify for CE marking, you go under the GPSD, which I mentioned earlier, which is whatever the local area's testing is. So logic would dictate that after Brexit, the British standard kite mark should in theory come back in, at which point if you want to sell a product in the UK, you'll have to send it to a lab in the UK and have it tested for them. Um, I seriously doubt that's going to come back again because self-assessment, self-safety assessment seems to be the way for the future. Um, things like the British Standard Kite Mark are, are, are a bit of a dinosaur. So the yeah, the short answer is stick with CE marking. It might be that CE marking will cover you forever in order to be able to sell a game in the UK. The only issue will come if at some point in the next 12 months to two years, the UK say it now needs to be UKCA marked. Even then, anything that you've had marked up to the point where they say that, you'll still be able to sell it with the CE mark within the UK. So there'll be nothing to lose out on by getting your game CE marked until the UK chooses to make that announcement, if they choose to make it, because it may well be that the UKCA mark never becomes uh, a single standard, um, even just for sales within the UK. So that's where that stands at the moment. We're going to have to see how that shakes out in, in the near future. Yeah, so just a bit of a, a wait and see kind of thing. All right, are there any other loopholes that you've noticed or, or want to highlight? Or not necessarily loopholes, but maybe things that people think are loopholes. Well, I'd say that the, the primary one is to say that as I say, people think that if they can find a piece of the CE marking which says that the CE marking does not apply to their product, then they can put the CE mark on the product without the testing. So it seems to be that people uh, look at the game, uh, look at the CE marking legislation, and it says, okay, these are the things that are covered by this legis legislation. And people say, okay, my game is not one of those things. Therefore, I don't need to get tested. Uh, and there's no testing that applies to my game under the C mark, so I'll have the C mark on it. As I said, if your product doesn't qualify for C marking, you, you fall under different, different legislation. And what I would say is, Firstly, if you think that there's a shortcut through something, if you think that there's a loophole, I would only ever take a shortcut through a forest when I knew that forest very, very well. I would always follow the path until I learned it inside out. If you think that there's a loophole in the CE legislation that allows you to put a CE mark on your game without having it properly tested, then you... I would suggest need to look through every single element of the CE marking. Um, you need to read every paragraph and every line. Don't take the advice of somebody who tells you 
that this is a way out of getting your game properly tested. Don't take the advice to take the shortcut from somebody who isn't you. They're not the person who's going to be going to prison if that advice turns out to be wrong. They're not the person who's going to be being fined £5,000. And it, and it has to be said also, the manufacturer is not responsible for your CE marking. If you put a CE mark on your game uh, and it hasn't been properly tested, the manufacturer you bought it from, whoever they happen to be, Panda Games, Long Pack, you know, many manufacturers are available. They have no responsibility whatsoever for that game. They could have filled it with poison and razor blades. It's not their lookout. It's only, it's you and only you. If you go into distribution, it's not necessarily the responsibility of the distributor. That's dependent on how it gets distributed. So there, there are a range of things that, that I've heard from people. I, I think the important thing for people to understand is that if your game, in your understanding, does not fall under the CE marking testing, then it does not get a CE mark. It, just because you can't find a piece of paper that says your game needs to be tested does not mean that you get the mark without having it tested. It means you don't get the mark. Any loophole that I've heard suggested says you can have the mark without having it tested because the testing says it only applies to this thing. The answer to that is, well, you don't get the mark then. My feeling on these things, I'm a very risk-averse person. I want to find out which legislation my product falls on under. I know there's legislation out there somewhere. I know there's a rule out there somewhere. I want to find it out, and I want to comply with it. If you think that there's a, a loophole around the testing, I can guarantee you there's not. But bear in mind that the CE marking is not the only legislation you can fall under. And if you don't think you fit into the CE marking testing, then you need to go and read up on the General Product Safety Directive. And what I would say is the General Product Safety Directive is an absolute mess. It's, it's every single one of the 50-odd countries in the European Union's individual specific rules are now applying to your game. And if you think it's honestly easier and cheaper to go through all of those countries' separate legislations and apply to each of their separate legislations um, rather than paying for your CE marking, I would suggest that even if your game is for people over the age of 14, I would claim it for, for the CE marking. It's almost certainly going to be easier. And more to the point, customs within the EU aren't particularly aware of the GPSD legislation. What they see is a game without a CE mark on it. Now, you can come back to them and say, ah, ha, ha, my game doesn't qualify for CE marking. My game is Cards Against Humanity. Uh, it's for 18 plus at a bare minimum. That's why I think it got it marked. That's not going to stop you having had a two to three month delay on delivering your product to your backers uh, or to your warehouse. The C marking is it, legislation is just quicker and it's just easier and it will just make your life so much better in the long run. Awesome. Well, Glenn, man, this has been super informative. I really appreciate appreciate your time and really going into the, the deep dive and the technical parts of things. I can, I mean, I can run through a super quick version of the the necessary paperwork that you'll need to have your C mark, but or we can leave that as a as a link for people to look up. Well, I mean, if you can do it just a real quick one, that's fine. Okay, uh, I'll run through a super, super quick list of the paperwork you'll have to need in order to qualify for the CE marking, other than the new testing, and it comes to Bill of Materials and Substance. Uh, you can download this from various places. The British Toy and Hobby Association um, has it. It's a little form where you fill out what's in the game. Uh, technical documentation, that's a piece of paper basically carrying ID for you in the game, your name, your address, uh, the elements of features uh, for the game, picture of the game. Uh, the EC Declaration of Conformity, what that is, is an ID number for your game, the barcode would do fine, uh, the manufacturer's name and address, and this statement, this Declaration of Conformity is issued under the sole responsibility of the manufacturer, uh, and then the name of the game and a location, uh, location for an image of the game. Uh, the statement, the object of the Declaration of Conformity described above is in conformity with relevant community harmony legislation, which you sign with your job title, your current geographical location, and the date. 
and then a safety assessment about your game, uh, where you write in the things that you've done to make it safe, the things that can make it unsafe. The one rule for safety assessments is nothing is ever entirely safe. Find something that could go wrong with the game and explain how you've made it safer. And you're, you're testing documents. If you've got that paperwork together, you qualify for a C mark on your game. Very cool. Well, hey, man, you've got a uh, game on Kickstarter right now. Give me like the two-minute elevator pitch for that. Okay, so uh, Moonflight is what we've described as the deck unbuilder. So, yep, quick pitch for it is that if you imagine uh, Dominion or any other deck builder, but instead of when the marketplace empties, the game ending, each of your cards will spin round to unlock a secondary ability. So for the first half of the game, they'll have traditional deck building abilities, card drawing, resource generation. Once the marketplace empties, they will unlock card trashing, card culling abilities. The game only ends when one player has no discard pile or draw deck remaining, and their entire deck is in their hand. When the game ends, you score only what is in your hand. So if you manage to build your deck more efficiently and then dismantle it more effectively than your opponent, you'll catch them with garbage in hand and outscore them at the end of the game. Uh, that's that's the, the short story of Moonfly. It's, um, it's coming from... Uh, I love the elegance of deck builders. I love how sharp and neat and contained that idea is. And I just wanted to uh, recapture that elegance in uh, in another mechanic, in another step, in a, a a point of the game that lets you carry on your engine for that little bit more, lets you push it for that for that extra step and see it roll out to do something in a new and interesting way. Very cool. Well, again, Glenn, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, good luck with Moonflight, and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Fantastic. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks for, uh, for for having us on the show. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?